1: I'm Tyler and back with me today after a week off is my longtime co-host Curtis. And today we're going to try something a little bit different on the show. So just bear with us. We want to try to throw something a little bit different at you guys. Maybe be a little bit more creative today on the show. We'll see how it works out. But obviously the college football offseason... Like, look, we know this is the ultimate time of bold predictions and kind of just throwing wild things against the wall. And hey, let's just see what sticks, right? You see prognosticators do this all over the place this time of year. And I don't know about you guys, but I often hear analysts and the so-called experts out there use language like, oh, I don't know, I wouldn't be surprised if Tennessee snuck up and won 9 or 10 games this year, or... I wouldn't be shocked if Florida won the entire SEC this season. Things like that, right? What you see is they take these bold ideas and kind of just throw them out there without having to fully commit themselves to this. That way, and it's kind of genius because that way they can claim credit if it turns out to be right. Like, hey, remember, remember back in July I said I wouldn't be surprised if Florida won the whole SEC. So they can claim credit if it somehow manages to be right but they can also disown it if it doesn't pan out. Oh, I never said Florida would win the SEC. I said I wouldn't be shocked if they did. There's a difference. Oh, really? There is, huh? So hearing different prognosticators do this all offseason long inspired the idea for today's show, which, let's be real, it's, it's basically a parody of college Ball talking heads in some weird way. But We'll have some fun with that. Before we get there though, I do want to thank everyone who continues to pour in the five-star ratings on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate that. I mean, I'm telling you guys, seriously, it is helping us tremendously. It really is. And I want to give out an especially big thank you to SG Dog77 and Wacky Outdoors for taking the time to write some very nice reviews on Apple Podcasts as well. We really appreciate that. And if you enjoy the show and haven't gotten a chance to give us one of those five-star ratings yet, no worries at all. I know life is very busy. Even during a pandemic, things get crazy, especially if you have kids. I know that has to be very difficult for a lot of you guys out there, but whenever you find a moment of peace and quiet, or if you're one of those people that don't have kids and you inevitably get to that point where you find yourself just sitting at home bored to death, Without anything to do during this wonderful pandemic time, just think of us then. And that will at least fill about 20 seconds of your time if you're looking for something to do. And we would greatly appreciate your help. But all right, let's get into this today. The way this is going to work is I'm going to give Curtis a series of bold statements. Let me be clear here from the outset. These are not predictions. I'm not saying that I expect or predict these things to happen. These are just bold statements that aren't likely to happen that are really kind of just designed to help create some conversation for the purposes of this podcast. And what Curtis is going to do when I throw out those bold statements is he's going to do what a lot of the so-called experts out there do. And he's going to tell me whether he would be surprised, shocked, or stunned if that thing happened. And I know a lot of you are probably sitting there thinking right now, well, what's the difference between surprise, shocked, and stunned? Aren't those kind of the same thing, just like different levels of surprise? And yeah, you're not wrong about that. So let me kind of explain to you the way this is going to work and what we mean by surprise, shocked, and stunned, what the difference is between those three words that are admittedly synonyms. And so I'm going to put this in football terms, since this is primarily a football podcast. So surprised would be like if we lost to Auburn at home this year, that's something that we all recognize is like at least a decent possibility. Like it could happen. It's not outside the realm of possibility, but I don't think many of us out there would predict it's going to happen, right? So that's what surprised would be. Shocked would be, let's go back to South Carolina last year, right? Where we lost to them at home. That's something that is like, we know it's a faint possibility like it maybe could happen and it's happened before but it's something that you still think is highly highly unlikely to happen like losing to South Carolina at home and then finally the highest level here would be stunned and this would be for example if we actually end up playing this game if we lost to say East Tennessee State at home this year right Stunned would be the kind of thing that just completely blows your mind. Something that you think there is just no way in hell that it could possibly happen. Like it's not even a small thought anywhere in the back of your mind. So, again, surprise, something that you recognize could possibly happen, but you don't expect to happen. You're not predicting it's going to happen. Shocked would be something that's like a very faint possibility, but you still think it's highly, highly unlikely. And stun would be that thing that just absolutely blows your mind that you don't think even is remotely possible in any way, shape, or form. And I know this, again, it's kind of weird. It's different. But just bear with us here. We've played Buy or Sell. We could have done Buy or Sell on this. But we've done that many, many times in the past on the show. And we love doing that. But we thought it would just be fun to kind of switch it up a little bit and discuss some outlandish ideas without having to commit ourselves to them like so many in the mainstream media seem to do day in and day out when they're talking about college sports. But okay, let's go ahead and kick this thing off. And Curtis, we're going as bold as it gets right out of the gate. I've mentioned a couple of times throughout the course of this pandemic, if you guys have been listening, that the reason I will be even more devastated if there's no college football in 2020 than I would be under any normal circumstances, because it doesn't matter what year this could possibly have. Like if If it was 1999, 2007, or 2020, like, it doesn't matter. I would be devastated no matter what if a college football season got canceled. But this year, if that ends up happening, I'm gonna be particularly devastated because I truly believe we are set up to have a national championship caliber team this season. So, Kurt, how crazy am I? Would you be surprised, shocked, or stunned If Georgia won the college football national championship in 2020, assuming, of course, that there actually is going to be a college
0: football national champion crowned this season. I'm going to go surprised. I think that there's a decent possibility. I mean, our defense is so stacked. I think that's definitely going to be our catalyst, what carries us. I'm not saying our offense is going to be what it was last year. I de- definitely think we'll be—you'll see improvement. I just don't know how big of an improvement. But I still think as long as we, our defense plays up to the standard of talent that we have, and you know the what we've instilled as what's expected of them, I think that we have a chance. To, I mean, look at it last year. Um, if we beat South Carolina, we have a chance to go into the playoffs, and anything can happen once you're there. And that's mainly because our defense won us a lot of football games. So I think that they could put us in that position again this year. So I, I would just—I would say surprised.
1: Well, look, I think this is a very real possibility. So I'm going to go with surprise since that's the lowest level here. And you're exactly right about the defense being the driving force behind this 2020 team as it was last year. I think the offense will catch up more so this year, but I think the defense is still going to, as you said, be the catalyst behind this, this Georgia football team in 2020. I mean, I think we were better than arguably better than every defense in the college football playoff last season with maybe the exception of Ohio State. I think we were right about the same level as Ohio State. They might have had more star power, but our defense performed at a very comparable level. And oh, by the way, we returned 80% of that defensive production. Our defense is not going anywhere. In fact, our defense might potentially, there's a very real possibility, it could be even better this season. Now, we'll see how not having spring practice affects things, but there's going to be more talent to work with. And that's a very scary idea for other teams in the SEC. So to me, it's all about the offense and the schedule as well. The schedule undoubtedly plays a role in this. And look, having Alabama on the schedule and had to play them all on the road early in the year, that's going to be tough. But saying that with a prospect of no or limited fans and attendance, that game all of a sudden becomes a lot more winnable than maybe it seemed a couple months ago. Because On top of there not being a raucous crowd in in the stadium, and there might be some fans there. We'll see how that plays out. I don't think it's going to be a full stadium, but we'll see. But regardless of that, I think this is the first time we will play Alabama under Kirby Smart, where you can say our talent level is at least equal, if not even potentially slightly better than Alabama's. When we played them in 2017 in the national title game, they were clearly, in my opinion, the more talented team. It's a borderline miracle that we were as close as we were in that game, and, and had that game in, I don't say in hand, but we're up in that game in the second half, and especially going into halftime. And then the idea that we were able to push them to double overtime, and I think that speaks volumes of about the team itself, but also the coaching staff that we have. In 2018, I think we closed the gap a little bit more, but they were still the more talented team overall on the field in the SEC title game in 2018. We didn't play them last year, but if you look at this year now that we have a couple of, of high-level recruiting classes under our belts here. I think now you can say that our talent level is at the very least exactly on par with Alabama, if not slightly better than what they have, especially at some key positions. So, yeah, the schedule is not easy when you whenever you have Alabama, especially on the road at Bama, but that game becomes more winnable. So it comes down to the offense for me. And in particular, it comes down to quarterback play. You guys know I think Jay Frond did a really good job for us the vast majority of his career last year we had some issues offensively and some of that was Jake uh, some of it was receivers a lot of it was offensive coordinator but I think that we are going whoever it ends up being whether it's Newman or JT Daniels and we'll get to JT Daniels and the quarterback conversation here in just a minute because Curtis has not had a chance to weigh in on that yet but whoever it ends up being I, th- I feel confident saying we're going to have a more talented signal caller lining up under center next year. Now, whether or not that person, whoever ends up being Daniels or Newman or whoever, is as productive as Fromm was, as, as a sophomore particularly, that remains to be seen. But I will say Jamie Newman is the top-grade returning quarterback in the SEC this year. He, in my opinion, clearly has more arm talent, whatever that nebulous phrase means. He has more arm talent than Jake Fromm with better weapons around him. He was second behind only Joe Burrow nationally last year in throwing the ball into tight windows. Also second behind only Joe Burrow in deep ball accuracy with balls 20 plus yards down the field. So I think that we're going to be more talented at quarterback. I think we're gonna have more weapons around the quarterback. I think we're gonna have clearly a better offensive coordinator with a better track record. So I think the offense is going to take a step forward. Think about if our offense last year was just moderately better than what it was. And I'm talking just small degrees better than what it was. We easily could have been in the college football playoff. All we had to do was beat South Carolina, as you mentioned, Kurt, and we would have been in the college football playoff last year. So, and that was, that was, that loss was on our offense, clearly on our offense. So if we're just small degrees better offensively, I think we have a shot to be in the college playoff. If you got a shot to be in the college playoff with a defense as good as ours, I think you have a shot to win the whole thing. I think this is the best Georgia football team that Curry Smart has had to work with from a talent perspective. We'll see how it plays out with this whole pandemic situation and not having spring practice. But from a talent standpoint, I think this is absolutely a national championship caliber football team. Okay, let's get to the next statement. And this one is somewhat related to the first one because we are likely going to have to beat them to win the national title. But, Curtis, would it surprise, shock, or stun you if we lost to Florida in 2020?
0: Uh, I'm going to go shocked. I think it's like what, you, like you mentioned earlier, like if we lost South Carolina. I definitely don't think it'll happen, but there's always the faint possibility just because of the weapons they have on offense um, with Kyle Pitts and Grimes coming back. You know that they could have a couple big plays go their way. And their defense do just enough. But I, like I was saying, I would be shocked. But I think, I mean, I have a very, very strong feeling we'll win that game. Uh, yeah. But there's still the possibility.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. I think that's the safe answer. I, I wouldn't be stunned. We're not talking like East Tennessee State. I'm going to give Florida a little bit more respect than that. And look, Florida is a good football team. If you go back, if you crunch numbers from last year, if you watch the play, they were good last year. I, I, and I don't want anyone to think that I'm sitting here trying to suggest throughout this. Offseason that Florida's not good. Florida was a good team last year and they're going to be good again this year. I, I just, when I talk about Florida, it's always relative to where Georgia is, right? Because that, we're a Georgia centric podcast. So I, when I talk about, okay, well, Florida and the SEC East, I think it's ridiculous that everyone out there is picking Florida to win the East this year because I don't see how they took enough of a stride from last year or we came backwards enough from last year to where they're almost going to jump over us this year. I just don't see that, but they're going to be a good football team. So I certainly wouldn't say I would be stunned if we lost, like it wouldn't like blow my mind. Like It's certainly a possibility somewhere in my mind that, yeah, we could lose to Florida, but I, I, I still think it's highly unlikely. I just think we are a much better football team. I think we have much better talent. Like I would put right now the gap between, uh, Florida and Georgia right now, similar to what the gap was between Georgia and Alabama in 2017. That's kind of where I think they are right now. They're good. They're really good, but they're just not where we are. It doesn't mean they can't push us. They had pushed us to a degree last year, but we are just, the, like overall right now, we are just the better football team. I think we're the better coaching staff, and I don't see that changing anytime soon with how Kirby Smart just continues to recruit circles around Dan Mullen, and that's just, that is who Dan Mullen is. That's not like a, uh, that's not an anomaly over the past couple of years that's just who dan mullen is and kirby smart is who kirby smart is on the recruiting show so we're going to consistently have more talented teams year in year out than dan mullen is at florida and i don't think this year is going to be a difference so yeah i absolutely think that we're going to beat florida this year um so i would go i would go with uh, shocked as well and again when it comes to like talking about florida this year like, again i've asked you this question before Curtis, and it's kind of just rhetorical here but like I will say it again. Where is Florida better than us on the field of play? Like what position are they better than? us? So I would say tight end. Uh, like where? Like uh, tight end? Like corner? Maybe with with Kyler Elam. But I don't. I don't. It might be a push there at corner. Like where else? Curtis is Florida right now unequivocally better than Georgia.
0: Uh, it's hard to find a place to be honest.
1: It really is. I mean, I would give them tight end right now. I would give them that with with what they've got coming back at tight end. Kyle Pitts is really good. He is. He's very good. And we'll see what we got Darnell Washington. I'm very high on him and Trey McKitty as well. But right now, based on past production, I would give them the edge there at tight end. But where else are they better than Georgia? And right now, I just don't see anywhere we can say you can point to a position on the field and say, definitively, Florida is better than Georgia at this position, other than tight end right now. Uh, and they're running like it, it, it's been well documented. Like whoever out whoever rushes for the most yards in that game, I think for almost a decade plus now, or uh, close to it, uh, I maybe it's nine years in a row. I think is the number, something like that. Whichever team rushes for the most yards wins the game. Well, guys, we held Florida 21 yards rushing last year. Is their running game and all of a sudden take a major step forward this year? I don't see it. I mean, their offensive line. Like I know they're, they've got some experience coming back, but that offensive line was trash last year. The reason they didn't throw the ball so much and basically just abandoned even trying to run the football. It was because the offensive line simply could not do it. And a lot of those guys are coming back this year. Yeah, they're more experienced, but what did they do last year to suggest to us that they're going to be any more equipped this year to run the football on us than they were last year? I just just simply – I don't see it. I don't see it. So, yeah, I'm with you there on that one as well
0: All right, next up here,
1: I was out of pocket last week, so you didn't get a chance to discuss this, Kurt, when it was fresh news, kind of hitting the airwaves. So with this next statement, I'm going to give you a chance to discuss your thoughts on the NCAA granting JT Daniels immediate eligibility, which, by the way, you were, you were completely on right away. Like, when we first talked about JD, JT Daniels back in May, you were like, yeah, I think he's going to get his eligibility. I wasn't quite so sure, but you were on that, so i got to give you some props there. So, Kurt, would you be surprised, shocked, or stunned if JT Daniels now armed with his 2020 eligibility, if he won the starting quarterback job going into this 2020 football season?
0: I'd be shocked. I would honestly say stunned if we had, had truly had spring practice, um, but we didn't. So it's not like uh, Newman got reps or anything, but I still have to say I would be shocked. Um, I don't see it. I don't think it's very likely that would happen. Um, Newman's been the guy. He's been in there since January. Um, he's been working out with these guys um he has a skill set that's different from JT Daniels and realistically I mean I know you brought in Daniels just like um we're saying but you, for the uh who's a transfer but for the most part you don't bring in grad transfers unless you plan on them playing and like i was saying i mean Jamie New it's not like Jamie Newman's a Grayson Lambert type grad transfer no this guy could have gone pro last year and been drafted in the draft but he wanted to come back and try to ride uh get his draft stock higher so it's not like uh he you have two – like a guy who's a five-star, like when he had Jacob Easton or someone going against Grayson Lambert. You don't have that. And I think Newman has the skill set with that strong arm. And the way he can escape and do things with his leg gives him that level up, especially this, this last season for him.
1: Yeah, I'm going to – I still certainly – I'm with you in thinking that Jamie Newman right now is the guy – if I had to bet on one of two quarterbacks to win the job going into the season, I would still bet on Jamie Newman for most of the reasons you just laid out there. I've, I've said this before, so I don't want to spend too long on it, but I just think Jamie Newman's skill set with his ability to run the football and also, also his ability to push the ball vertically down the field with outstanding accuracy. Again, the second most accurate deep ball pass for 20-plus yards in the entire country last year just behind Joe Burrow, who might, oh, by the way, have put together the greatest college football season for a quarterback in the history of the sport. So I think he's he's with that skill set, I think he's the guy that I would put the money on right now. But I I think it might be a little bit of a closer battle than you than than you than you suggest. You said you'd be shocked, right? Um yeah. Go, yeah, I would go surprised on this. I again I would I would be surprised if Daniels won the job for the reason I just laid out, but I'm I'm certainly like It would not stun me and it would not shock me. Again, like these are all like, what does it mean? Stun, shock, surprise. But look, I I would say I I think there's certainly a possibility that Daniels could win this job. I really do. I wouldn't predict it's going to happen right now. But I think it's possible, and you mentioned the fact that there was no spring practice. Like I think that is huge in giving JT Daniels a fighting chance. And it, it, so I would be with you. You said you would be stunned, you'd be more stunned and not just shocked if we had spring practice. I would go up to the shocked level uh, if if we had had spring practice. I wouldn't go all the way to stunned. I go to shocked because I think that would give Newman a leg up in in the system with all the reps with the, with the, with his receivers and with the coaching staff and just getting to learn that playbook a little bit more without that, I think that certainly does open the door for JT Daniels. And, and one of the things I do want to, I want to say is, you know, just on Twitter, social media, message boards, wherever, when you, when you see conversation about JT Daniels and, Jay, and Jamie Newman, a lot of what – when people point – when they're trying to suggest that Jamie Newman is going to be the guy, which I, right now, again, I would still go with Jamie Newman. But a lot of the justification to support choosing Jamie Newman is based on stats. And I would just caution you when you make that statistical comparison because because if you look at their numbers, so so last year Jamie Newman completed 61% of his passes for 2,868 yards, 26 touchdowns, 11 picks. Daniels in 2018 as a true freshman quarterback at USC completed only 59.5% of his passes, 2,672 yards, 14 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. But the reason I would caution you to base that – prediction on stats alone is because you are comparing Jamie Newman as a fourth year junior last year to JT Daniels as a true freshman in 2018. That is apples to bananas, right? It's not the same situation, not the same offense, not the same coordinator, all those things. Uh, Newman had been in that system for a while. Daniels was a brand new college quarterback, right? Back in 2018. So I would caution you to, if you're basing a prediction, and I'm not saying you, just people in general, uh, on on just stats alone, now I went back and watched these guys as many games as I could possibly find throughout the past couple of months. And doing that, I still will give Jamie Newman the edge, but that's based on me actually watching them play. But I do think Daniels has certain tools in his toolbox that I think Todd Munkin could potentially make use of. In my potentially, like and it, it comes down to like we don't really truly know what Todd Munkin prefers. Like how how important is it to Todd Munkin that Jamie Newman has the ability to run the football? a little bit more than JT Daniels, or a good bit more than JT Daniels does. I think that's important, but how important does Todd Munkin think that is within the structure and framework of his offense? Those are all things that we don't know yet. So I would, again, I still think Newman's the guy, but I wouldn't be shocked and I wouldn't be stunned if Daniels somehow found a way to win that job. But all right, next up, Kurt we are all very aware of the issues we had offensively in 2019. At this point, they are extraordinarily well-documented. But this year, to try to right the ship, we bring in a new offensive coordinator with a very strong track record of success, really wherever he's been, whether it's in the NFL or at the college level Oklahoma State and Southern Miss. And we also have a new quarterback, whoever that may end up being. And we're also going to introduce a number of new skill players to the equation, Now, last year, it it wasn't pretty. We finished 61st nationally in total offense, which might not sound like a disaster, but when you're Georgia and you're trying to compete for national championships, that's just simply not good enough. It's just not going to cut it. So, Kurt, with all the new elements in play with our offense this year, would it surprise, shock, or stun you if we leaped all the way up into the top 10 nationally offensively in 2020?
0: I'm going to go stunned. Um, you just have so many teams out there that have really good offenses. And I just don't think we're up to that standard yet, especially the fact that even though we're making the changes with offensive coordinator and things, we still don't have all the weapons that some of these other teams have. Like we have good receivers, but we don't have, um, you know, two to three guys deep as some of these other teams out there do. And yeah. even then with all of our talent, especially skilled players at running backs and wide receivers, a lot of it's unproven talent that you don't know what you're going to get. So, at this point, I would be stunned if we were in the top ten. So for you, there's just no way we make an LSU type jump this year. No, because we don't have all those draft picks at wide receiver and skill players like they did. That's yeah, we that's, don't. Have, yeah, we have George Pickens, but I still don't think he's as good as Jamar Chase. And then to throw in their slot receivers, Justin Jefferson, who I think was actually probably their biggest weapon, Thaddeus Moss, Clyde Edwards-Alaire. <laughs>
1: Like math, like all these guys out there. No, yeah, no doubt. So, I mean, on one level, if you look at this, you can say, okay, we we'll bring in Todd Munkin. I think it's clear. Like, wouldn't you agree, Kurt? It's pretty clear we have we've made an upgrade at offensive coordinator, even without him coaching a game here.
0: Hundred percent. Yes.
1: Yeah. like There's to me. Like, don't like you can't even argue that point. You just can't if you base it on on history and what he's done versus what James Coley had done and what what we saw last year. We know Todd Munkin put up huge numbers at Oklahoma State, but I will say they had an infrastructure in place before he got there. They were number three in total offense before he got there in 2010 with with Dana Holgerson, who was their coordinator before Munkin took over for them. But I will say what he did at Southern Miss was remarkable. Southern Miss was 109th nationally in total offense when he took over the head coaching job there. And he took them to top 15 nationally in his final season in 2015. So he has taken a team that was abysmal offensively and turned them into a top 15 caliber offense within a couple years. Now, he didn't do that in one season at Southern Miss, but I would say that we have more weapons to work with than what he had at Southern Miss when he first took that job. And if you look at LSU, I mentioned them a second ago they went and this this stat is insanity to me. They went from 5.5 yards per play in 2018 to 7.89 last year. That's more than 2 yards per play increase year to year. That's that never happens. That's in, that's pure insanity. And, and last year so then they went by the way they went 69th nationally in total offense in 2018 to first nationally last year. Now we were 61st nationally. So it, it kind of sets up in a very similar way to what LSU was looking at from 2018 to 2019. But you're right, Kurt, what it comes down to for me is they had the pieces in place. They had the skill talent. They had the quarterback. So when they finally made the move to change the scheme, to unleash all of those weapons, it was an overwhelming rousing success. And the question we have to answer is do we right now have all the pieces in place like LSU did last year to where all we need to do is bring a new coordinator with a new scheme flip the switch and boom, now you have a top 10 offense nationally. And I am with you. I don't think we have quite as many of the pieces in place as LSU did last year. I think we have some pieces. I think Jordan mean, Pickens is a great piece to start with. I think we have some good running backs that are going to be able to do some things. I think we're going to have two really good options at quarterback. I'm excited about what we have it tied in. I'm excited about some of the young receivers we're bringing in, but we don't know what those guys are yet. We think they could be really good, but we just don't know. And it's hard to predict when no one had a spring practice to work with. So right now, I, it would be a, a good bit of a stretch to say, oh, yeah, well, LSU did it last year just by bringing a new NFL coordinator. So, yeah, you know, Georgia doing the same thing, so why can't they make the t- a jump to the top 10? That's a little bit of a stretch. So I don't know if I would go stunned. I would go shocked, though. Like it, I, it's, I'm not going to say it's out of the question because we saw it happen last year with LSU. I don't think we have the same skill and talent as they had quite yet, but – I think that you know it, it's close enough to where I could say it's a faint possibility, and we've seen it happen before, but I would still say it's very very unlikely at this stage for us to all of a sudden jump into the top ten nationally. I would not be shocked if like would you be if I change it to top twenty, would that change your answer? I may be more willing then yeah i I, I actually expect us to be in the top twenty I would say top twenty five I'm not ready to go top ten yet, we just don't know enough at this point, but Top 25, like, I, I kind of expect that. Like, we, If we if we want to be serious contenders for national title, we need to be in the top 25 offensively. And with the talent that we have, might not be what LSU had last year, but with the talent that we do have at our disposal, we, there's no reason we're not in the top 25 offensively uh, in, from a national standpoint. I just don't think there's any reason not to be. I mean, let me remind you guys that under Jim Cheney in 2018, we were top 20 nationally. And I know that might shock a lot of people who were killing Jim Cheney constantly during his tenure here as our offensive coordinator and yeah sure he may have never been an elite offensive coordinator in his career and I certainly do not think he was worth the contract that he got at Tennessee but still the fact is we were inside the top 20 in 2018 with Jim Chaney calling the plays and running the show offensively and Todd Munkin let's just be real has a far better track record as an offensive play caller than Jim Chaney. So if we could do it in 2018 with Jake Fromm at quarterback, who, again, I think was really good for in a lot of ways, but I don't think he was as physically gifted as either guy that is our top two options at quarterback this year. I, I just don't see why we can't be in the top 20, top 25 nationally with Todd Munkin this season if we were able to do that under Jim Chaney a couple years ago. And I mean, heck, we were just outside the top 25. I, mean, I think it was fringe top 30 in 2017 with Jake Fromm as a true freshman as our starting quarterback so again why can't we do that this year maybe not top 10 but I think top 25 should be the expectation but all right okay so let's move on now if we're gonna make a big jump on offense this season like if we somehow make that massive leap in the top 10 neither one of us think that's gonna happen but maybe it's gonna have a lot to do with the passing game making some very very serious strides so Kurt. Would you be surprised, shocked, or stunned if Georgia finished
0: with the top passing offense in the SEC in 2020? I'm going to go shocked because I still think that Bama's going to be the one to beat. I mean, with Devonta Smith and Waddle coming back, that's two weapons that we still at this point don't know who's going to step up between us. And I still think Florida will have a good passing game throwing in Kyle Pitts and Grimes and people like that.
1: Yeah. LSU. I mean, I know they're losing Joe Burrow and we don't know what Miles Brennan is yet, but I know they, they're pretty high on him. And you still have Jamar Chase to throw to, I know Joe Brady's not, he's no longer there calling or helping call plays, but like, look, his influence is still all over that program. They know what the offense is now it's kind of built in there. So I don't think they're going to go away offensively. I don't think they're going to fall off the cliff. So I think you're right. Especially, I would say Alabama and LSU, especially potentially Florida as well. Those are offenses that we're going to have to jump over, but Hey, like, as bad as we were last year, again, like you go back to the numbers, like it's it, there seems to be a, somewhat of a disconnect between what we saw, like what we felt watching it in the moment last year, and you go back and kind of from a, a thousand foot view look at the statistics from last year. Like it wasn't quite as much of an unqualified train wreck as we thought it was in the moment because we were, like we were. Top five last season in the SEC. I know there's only 14 teams in the league, but we were top five last year in the league in passing, not only 72nd nationally, so kind of right there in the middle of the pack. But I'm with you. I, I would be shocked. I, I, I'm not going to say it's impossible because I do think we're going to upgrade quarterback. I do think we're going to have more talent wide receiver. I think we're going to have a better scheme. We're gonna, we, have, I mean, we have a coordinator who wants to push the ball down the field. I firmly believe that we will push to be inside the top three I don't know if it will be enough to get us to be the number one passing offense in the league. I'm not ready to go there yet. Just again, without having seen anything in spring practice, without having heard anyone talk about what we want to do offensively, because there's been no one at practice to see anything because there has been no practice. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, but again, LSU, the reason I'm not gonna go stunned here is LSU has established a precedent. They went from seventh in the SEC in 2018 to first in, Last season in the league in passing, they went from 67th nationally in passing in 2018 to second nationally last year. So there is a precedent there. I just, again, don't know if we have the pieces in place right now to the degree that LSU did to where we're going to make that big of a leap. I think we're going to make a leap, but I don't know if it's going to be that drastic of a leap. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, let's move over to the running game for this next statement. I'm actually really interested to hear what you had to say about this. All the talk around our running back position coming into 2020 is focused on Zamir White. And and Zeus, love the guy by the way, is seen by the vast majority of the fan base. And I mean vast majority of the fan base as kind of the de facto starter entering the 2020 season. Before this team has even stepped on the practice field for the first time. But Kurt, what if they are wrong? What if the currently underutilized James Cook and not Zamir White ended up winning the starting tailback job
0: coming out of camp. Would you be surprised, shocked, or stunned? I'd only be surprised, and I think that – because you've, if you've seen pitches, it looks like James Cook's put on some good weight, which will definitely help him. And the reason I'd only be surprised is the fact his versatility in this Todd Monk and offense may be the difference maker that could actually put him in as the starting running back.
1: Yeah, this is, and this is something I've, I've actually mentioned a couple times on the show over the past couple of weeks – Look, and this is not saying that I'm not high on Zamir White. I, I love Zamir White, and if he is, and I've said this many times, I'll say it again, if he is back to the form he was in high school before the knee injuries, he's going to be a nasty player. He wasn't quite there last year. I think he certainly got more comfortable in the offense, and you started to see more and more of his old self as the season went on. I really liked what I saw in the Sugar Bowl, but there's a big part of me that thinks James Cook's skill set might actually fit Todd Munkin's offense, his modern day offense, more so than Zamir White's. Like, it, it, Zamir White is more of a throwback running back for, like, think about guys that we had in the early Mark Richter, right? Like, like Musa Smith, Sean, those kind of guys, guys that fit a pro style, eye formation, downhill running attack. That's what Zamir White is. I'm not saying he can't operate in a modern day spread offense, he can. But I don't think he's as effective in that type of offense as a guy like James Cook would be with the skills that he brings to the table. And, I, and I've, I've talked about this before, but I'll say it again in case anyone missed it. One of the reasons – actually, the biggest reason LSU, in my opinion, made such a dramatic jump offensively last year, other than Joe Burrow being unleashed and just being incredible, was the fact that they could basically go play-to-play with tempo – with the same personnel group, and they could go from 11 personnel to 21 personnel. Like they could go all sorts of different things offensively last year with the same personnel, which made it very difficult for defenses to sub in to match what they were trying to do. And the reason they were able to do that is because they had hybrid players offensively, guys like Thaddeus Moss, guys like especially Clyde Edwards-Illei. I think James Cook is more in the mold of a Clyde Edwards-Illei than what Zeus is, and, and and that's just a preference thing. And, and again, we don't exactly know what Todd Munkin's offense is going to be. You can look back at history and get an idea, but look, he's had time to kind of to, to tweak it and do different things and watch and learn, all that kind of stuff. So I don't know. I, I just think there's a strong possibility that he wants a more versatile running back in the backfield and not just like, you know, occasionally like we've been like we've used James Cook just as a guy here and there to throw in there, to, to throw a wrinkle in there every, you know, six or seven plays, something like that, if that. But it wouldn't, it would not shock me to see James Cook be that starting running back because he has the skill set that modern offensive coordinators are looking for that will allow them to get matchup advantages more so than a guy like Zemir White, who, again, I think is more of a throwback guy in terms of fitting the offense that we used to have in the market there, not the more modern spread-type offense that we brought Todd Munkin in to build. So I would be – I guess I I would go surprised at this. Like I I, I guess I would still say – kind of like with Jamie Newman. I think Zemir White's still the favorite – right now, but it wouldn't be anything more than a mild surprise for me to ultimately see James Cook with his versatility and how he fits the more modern spread-based offenses to see him ultimately end up being that first guy to try it out there with the first team offense in week 1 whenever that ends up being. All right, we've spent a while talking about the offense, so let's move over to the defense for this next one, Kurt. We're we're all excited about this latest number 1 ranked recruiting class. Coming in this season. And defensive back Keely Ringo, he's the one who I think may actually end up being the best of the bunch when it's all said and done. But look, we have a very crowded defensive backfield right now, no matter how good Keely Ringo is. So, Kurt, as good as he is, would you be surprised, shocked, or stunned if Keely Ringo was starting by, let's
0: say, midseason? After the departure of Devon Wilson, I'm going to move it to surprised because I can see him making waves, especially at the star position because. Right now, I think it, it. I know it's still early, but I think he's better than what we have in Mark Webb. So, if I had to be honest, I think the two best people fit for the star position are both Keely Ringo and uh, Tyreek Stevenson going into this next this next season. And with that going, as we've seen also, if especially when we go to like a dime nickel package or something where we pull one of the linebackers out, you could it wouldn't shock me to see someone like Keely Ringo getting in there. As like the money, like kind of what Devad played last year in the dime package, yeah, exactly. Or like at the end of the year when you saw uh, the way they got Tyreek on the field, especially against Auburn and things in those packages, I could see Keely Ringo stepping into that role.
1: Yeah, that's and that's where I because look, this dude has a big frame for a DB. Now he can, he can go out there and play cornerback as well as anybody on the team. Uh, it, it, well, I don't say right away, but I think he has that ceiling, obviously. But the dude's 6'2", pushing six three. This guy has size. He has the frame. And the reason I bring that up is because with, with that frame, you have the ability to slide inside to play the star position because you have to have that physicality to, to be See, able he, to help. Defend he's someone,
0: he's I think someone Ringo that could him. guard Kyle Pitts from Florida where Mark Webb is too weak, even though he's bigger, you know, taller, he's still weak, where Keely Ringo is not a weak guy. And I, that's someone who can match up on a Kyle Pitts.
1: Yeah, I, mean, I think Webb has a, a decent level of physicality. I just, I think Webb is a really good player. I think Kirby trusts him. I think it's big for Mark Webb is that Kirby trusts him coming into the season. Because right now, like, without spring practice, without the coaches really being able to work with these guys, the unique situation that, that the pandemic has presented, I think that might give a guy like Mark Webb a little bit of an edge because he's just done it. He's been here. He's done it. He's got Kirby's trust. And to play defensive back at Georgia, especially with Kirby Smart there on the defensive side, he'd be an old DB guy himself. Like You have got to understand how to play the position. You can't just be super talented. Like that's you got to be talented, but you also have to understand the system. You have to be a guy that he can trust. That's why Richard LeCount, he was all over LeCount so much early in his career because LeCount, it took him a minute to, to get to the level where Kirby felt like he could trust him. Once he got there, we've seen how Richard LeCount has grown. So I, I think right now Webb already has his trust. Can Ringo come in in a short period of time in, a couple, in the span of a couple of weeks and fall camp and earn Kirby's trust enough to where he's going to start right away? I don't think the answer is yes right now. But again, the question was back to midseason. By midseason, that could change. We saw Tyreek Stevenson come on a little bit. I would say the last third of the season last year was when he started to see more extensive playing time. But Ringo is extraordinarily talented. And I, it would not shock me. I would say I'd be surprised. I'll go with that by midseason if he. Was the starter at that at any spot in the secondary? I wouldn't. I would like. Would you completely throw him out in terms of the possibility of tr- maybe winning one of the actual starting cornerback spots?
0: Probably because we're three deep right now.
1: Yeah, we have three guys that have been here. They've done again. Kirby trusts these guys. They've played at a high level before. And I, I mean, I think Ringo has a higher ceiling than all those guys. I truly believe that. But when he's a true freshman coming in with limited time to prepare and get get himself ready, and just the weird situation that we're in right now. I have a heart, I would be stunned if he won an outside cornerback job. I I would say that. But I would, I would, it wouldn't, it would, I guess I would I would say surprised if he somehow managed by midseason to overtake Mark Webb and take that starting star position. That would that that would that's only much more of a possibility in my mind than him winning one of those outside cornerback jobs. But um, all right, we'll see how that plays out. I'm excited to see how that one plays out. All right, Kurt, last one here. When talking about Georgia's 2020 season and the schedule we have to run through, all the talk focuses on two games, Alabama and Florida. We know that. That's all anyone's talking about. No one is really talking about any other game. It's, it's almost as though we have like a two-game schedule in a lot of people's minds. And, and look, I myself am guilty of that on this very podcast. So I'm not trying to throw anyone on the bus. I'm guilty of it too. Yet this is college football and upsets happen in college football. We all know what happened to South Carolina and Sanford Stadium last year. Don't need to rehash that. We know. So, Kurt, would you be surprised, shocked, or stunned if we lost to anyone other than Alabama or Florida in 2020?
0: I'm just gonna go shocked, just because you have what happened with South Carolina last year. But realistically, there's no one else on the schedule that we should lose to. Especially, you have Tennessee at home. Yes, we go to South Carolina, but just in general, I'd be shocked. I don't. I think it's there's a it's highly, highly unlikely to happen.
1: Yeah, I mean, if I used the South Carolina game last year as my example for what shocked meant then I have to go with shocked in this, in, in this question as well. Because, look, you're exactly right. If, if you look at the other teams on our schedule outside of Alabama and Florida, we, there's, no, there's no reason we lose to any of those teams. We, I know Auburn's pretty good. We get Auburn at home. We shouldn't lose to Auburn. We're, no matter where that game's played, we should not be losing to Auburn. I think Kentucky's going to be a sleeper team this year in the East. I think they're going to be really good. And by really good, I mean by their standards. So like an 8-ish, 9-ish win caliber team. But there's no reason we should lose Kentucky. There's no reason we should lose Tennessee. They might be better. Tennessee at home, there's no reason we should lose Tennessee. South Carolina on the road, I don't care. There's no. We lost them last year, I know. But there's no reason we should lose them. We are, we are more talented than – honestly, I think we're more talented than every team on our schedule, including Alabama. I know that game's in Tuscaloosa, so it's a little bit of a different story. And, uh, and Alabama is, is Alabama. They're really, really good. I know that. But like I said, the outside of the show, I think at the very least, we are just as talented as Alabama and every other team on our schedule. We are better than so. Yeah, I, I would say it would shock me. It's it's, it's possible because we saw it last year. The president has been established. We lost to a team we had no business losing to in South Carolina last year. It's possible it could happen, but it's certainly not something that I would come close to predicting that, ha- that would happen. So I, yeah, I'm with you. I'm gonna go shocked here as well. But all right, guys, that does it for us here today on the Glory UGA podcast. As always, we really appreciate you guys taking time out of your day here in the middle of a global pandemic to listen to and support our show. It means a great deal to us. And later on this week, we have a special edition of the Glory UGA podcast for you. We're going to have an interview with the publisher of Pick 6 Previews. And if you guys aren't familiar with Pixix Preview, they're still relatively new to the game in terms of the pre- preseason publications, but for my money, it is absolutely no questions asked, hands down, the best preseason preview book out there. And we've been working on getting an interview set up with them for, uh, for a little while now, and we are really excited to be able to bringing their publisher on for you guys later on this week so make sure to check that out we i think we're recording the interview right now it's scheduled for wednesday so we should have it up for you either late wednesday night or sometime on thursday probably more like thursday but that will be up for you guys later on the week we're have a lot of fun talking about the process of of him putting together the magazine and what goes into it and obviously going to be talking a lot of Georgia football, and, and take a, a maybe a little bit of a wider look at some other programs in the SEC as well. So really looking forward to that. So make sure to check back in. But again, thanks for listening. For Curtis, I'm Tyler, and as always, go dogs.